Welcome to all on this bright January Sunday morning. We gather together with gratitude for some particularly sunny days as of late, but even more, we are grateful when gray or darkness descend in our physical environment or within our emotions and spiritual life, that the light of Christ still shines and is revealed. Please join with me in our epiphany call to worship printed in your order. Arise, shine, for our light has come and the glory of God has risen upon us. Nations will come to the light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The love of God for all peoples and nations is revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. We are now one world and one family called to be children of God. Arise, shine, for our light has come. I invite you to turn in the purple, sing the story to number 30. Arise, your light is come. Please stand if you're able. And in the hymn book, 219. 219, bright and glorious is the sky.
We enter now into our regular time of corporate prayer for our faith family, our loved ones and friends, our community, and the world. When I offer the words, loving God, I invite you to respond, bring your light. Please join with me in prayer. O oh God, you grant justice to your people who cry to you day and night. So we pray always and do not lose heart. God of glory, the light of your love cannot be overcome by darkness. Thank you for coming in the flesh to breathe and walk among us and offer us abundant life. Loving God, bring your light. You fill our lives with the fruit of your light through Christ. Your steadfast love never ceases. We pray for our family of faith and our neighbors. We give thanks for the youth of our congregation. We give thanks for the time the high school youth are finishing at winter youth retreat and for the adult leaders that accompany them. Help the memories of this weekend to be fond and formative ones. And prepare the hearts, minds, and bodies of the middle school youth and their leaders as they will attend winter retreat this coming weekend. Loving God, bring your light. We lift to you Liz Hoover as she is currently in Goshen Hospital undergoing treatment for respiratory issues. Guide and encourage her. We also remember Vera Steiner as she recovers from shoulder replacement surgery. Give encouragement to both Liz and Vera and their loved ones as they recover. We hold in our hearts and lift in our prayers Caleb Ganawan and his parents, Martin and Chica, and his siblings, Matthew and Mora, as they each cope with the strenuous journey of cancer treatment. Enfold each one, <clears throat> excuse me, in your care and especially pour healing over and throughout Caleb's little body. Loving God, bring your light. You take notice of your people. You are close to the brokenhearted. You hear our cries and see our tears. We pray for all who grieve, remembering in a special way the fresh grief of Gerhard Reimer and Catherine Yutzi's families. Enfold these and many others who grieve in your steadfast care. Loving God, bring your light. Your glory, O oh God, will appear over the nations. We pray for the world, this hurting world, this wonderful world. 
We give gratitude for the beauty and wonder of your creation, including the best of humanity, while alongside praying for those who are ensnared in greed, violence, and oppression, and those who experience some of the worst of humanity. We pray for your world. Loving God, bring your light. You are a God of abundant light. Your presence illumines even our darkest shadows. Gather today's sorrow as well as today's joy and remake them in us into generous hope, tested faith, and deep joy that our lives may be radiant with your love in the example of Jesus. We pray all these things together in Jesus' holy and healing name. Amen. I invite you to turn once again in the purple, sing the story to number 34, You Are Holy. And children, you are invited to come to the circle for the story. what's happening with the lights? They're getting a little darker. It's kind of like nighttime, isn't it? Hmm. 
What happens at night? What do you start to see? We sleep. That is a very good thing to do at night. You see what? Stars. Oh. Do you see any stars in here? Where? Where? Oh my goodness, look up there. Oh my goodness, there are stars up there. There are stars on the wall. Oh. Hey, look around. Look around the sanctuary. Do you see any other stars? Or things that kind of look like stars? Do you ever go out at night and look at the stars? You watch the moon out the window. Some of you have played outside in the dark. And fireflies in the summer. Really? Whoa, glow necklaces in the dark are fun too. Whoa, sledding in the dark? Do any of you go night sledding ever? We love, we love night sledding, don't we? Watching a movie in the dark? Okay, well right now, we do all kinds of things at night, don't we? Right now we're going to look up at these stars and dream a little bit. And I'm going to look at the stars that are back here. And you all can look at the stars that are all around. Now I have a question. When you look up at the night sky, whether this one that we're imagining or the real one, do you, is, it, is it big or is it small? Does the sky look big or small? The sky kind of looks big, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, we were, um, we were out in the country in Missouri, rural Missouri, and my goodness, was that a big sky. It looked so big. How many stars are in the, there in the world? 100? I bet. Oh, 152. Anyone out there, go like this if you think it's even higher than that. Look out there. They're saying it's even more than that. There must be so many stars because it's such a big sky. And do you ever, infinity stars, that is a lot of stars, isn't it? A thousand? It's like all these numbers that are so big we can't even imagine them. Now, here's another question. Have you ever looked at constellations? I am so bad at trying to find constellations. But there are some people that are really, really good at it. Some people even study the stars and learn things about the world through looking at the stars. You want to study the stars? I think that's a great idea. How many of us would like to learn more about the stars? Yeah? Some grown-ups are raising their hands, too, it looks like. Yeah. Stars are so intriguing. Did you, have you ever heard of celestial navigation? What is it? Yeah, the Big Dipper or other constellations. And what do you do with it? Uh-huh, the North Star's in it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, the big, I mean, that's the most common way, but there are lots of ways that people... A wishing star. Yeah, we sometimes talk about those. Have you ever heard the phrase, follow the drinking gourd? We're going to get to that. Have you heard follow the drinking gourd? A few of you have. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a song that, that back, um, back when there was a lot of slavery in the United States, people would sing that song and it reminded them of how to do celestial navigation. They could follow the North Star all the way to freedom. Who else is someone that you know that followed a star? Now we're getting to what you were saying before, Zeph. Who else has followed a star, yeah? The wise men or the magi or we, we call them all kinds of things. They followed it to Jesus, didn't they? Yeah. So um, we don't know a lot about those magi, but we have some clues. Huh? Yes, Mary. They went to find Mary and Joseph and the baby. So we know that much. We know um, that they were probably people who studied the stars. And they probably were like advisors to kings. They probably were kind of powerful. And they followed the star of baby Jesus. We know that about them, don't we? Um, We know they probably came from Persia which is now Iran, or that's kind of our best guess, although there are some clues that say they might have come from other places too. Yes, and God created them. We absolutely know that. We, we know they probably traveled like around a thousand miles to get to Jesus. Okay, so we were saying a thousand stars, and that seems like a lot. Can you imagine walking a thousand miles? We think they rode on camels to get there. That's true. Yes, that's another part of what we think we might know about them. And we also know that people back then usually traveled in caravans. And so there were probably a lot of people. How many, how many um, magi do we often have in a Christmas story? Well, that's about how many we have in our CMC Christmas pageants. Often, often, like if you get a nativity set... It says three, doesn't it? But you know what? We don't actually know. It could be even more than that. Probably was. And there could have been children traveling with them. Can you imagine traveling in a caravan to go see baby Jesus by following a star with celestial navigation? There could have been a baby along. Okay. As we can see... There are so many things to wonder about when we think about the Magi and when we think about these stars. There's something that has really made me wonder lately. Jesus' birth was such a huge deal. It was so big that even the cosmos had something to say about it. Not just on earth, But way out in the whole universe, the whole universe couldn't help but proclaim the birth of this baby. The birth of a baby was proclaimed by the whole universe. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that, and it makes me wonder. Our God is so big, and our God is a God of the whole world, not just of the little part of it that we know. Okay, we're going to do something together. Stand up and stretch out to make your body as big as you can. Now look around at each other. 
What do you kind of look at when you make yourself as big as you look like when you make yourself as big as you can? Star. A star. That's right. This is star pose. This is star pose. That's, that's right. All right. So we're going to do a star prayer. And if anyone else wants to join, you're welcome to. So stretch as big as you can, the biggest star you can. And we're going to say together, God, you are so big. Ready? God, you are so big. And now we're going to try it again. We're going to start by being small. And we're going to jump up and try to hit your biggest star on the word big. Ready? God, you are so big. One more time. Ready? God, you are so big. Yes, our God is so big and so mighty. And God showed us that with the little baby Jesus. All right, I have something for you. This is a star that you get to color. Okay? And if you want, you could hang it somewhere in your home so that you see it. And you can look at that and be reminded that our God is so big and that God cares about the littlest, tiniest thing and the biggest, hugest universe. Okay? Grab a star and you can get your worship bags and head back to your seats. And while they're returning, let's sing in the hymn book 218. As with gladness men of old, if you look back at page 89, for the beauty of the earth is the tune you may be more familiar with. 218.
today, our pastoral team leader, Phil Waite, will uh, share our scripture and our message. Let's pray together. Loving God, bless Phil as he shares with us of your scripture today, and bless each one of us as we listen and receive and take these messages to heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Test. There we go. Somehow I got it on mute. The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. From Matthew chapter 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The word of the Lord. A friend of mine, uh, who was a, a pastor friend, a Lutheran pastor friend, was telling me about a church that she had been a part of at one time on the north side of Chicago. It was a Swedish Lutheran church and had been in a Swedish Lutheran neighborhood, a neighborhood of people of Swedish Lutheran descent who lived uh, in this particular neighborhood in Chicago. 
And if you know anything about the history of Chicago and about the history of neighborhoods in Chicago, you know that neighborhoods change over time. And it came to pass that over the period of maybe five years or so, the people, the Swedish Lutherans in that neighborhood began to move out of the neighborhood and to different areas in the Chicago area, mostly in the suburbs. And for a time, they would come back and worship at this Swedish Lutheran church in the old neighborhood. This was, this was their mother church. This was their heritage. This was their, their culture. And as the neighborhood around them changed, you have this Swedish Lutheran church filled with Swedish Lutheran people in a neighborhood that didn't have Swedish Lutheran people anymore. And over time, uh, that church died, and maybe they eventually sold the property to some other, to some other church. This has me thinking about all the different ways that the church has become embedded in particular ethnic traditions. Do you think about this? This sort of litany, this list has been going through my mind this week. Dutch Reformed, Lithuanian Catholic, Serbian Orthodox, Swiss Mennonite, Scottish Presbyterian, we could go on and on and on. The church, in many of its forms, many of its traditional forms, has become an ethnic tradition, a kind of folk religion passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation. Let's Stop and think about that for a second. That old, that Swedish church, north side of Chicago, their story could be said of, of, of many churches in many places. It could be said of a Dutch Reformed church in western Michigan, a uh, Mennonite church in Kansas, a Lithuanian Catholic church on the south side uh, of Chicago, how over time they become fossilized, they become relics, kind of a living or even a dying relic of a former time. The story of the Magi offers us a different vision of church. Matthew includes this story in his gospel because he wants the reader to understand that the gospel, that Jesus, that God incarnate, God with us, is not just for a particular ethnic group, but is for everybody. The picture, the image of these exotic people, 
And they were, in the story, they are exotic people, foreign people, strangers, come all this distance to offer gifts to the Magi, to be sure, but to receive gifts. And the Gospels and Matthew squarely place the story of Jesus in a tradition of universalism in the Old Testament. That is universalism, the belief that God, the God of Israel, is not just the God of Israel, but is the God of all people. The title of the sermon, A House of Prayer for All Nations, um, comes from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, a phrase that Jesus quotes when he cleanses the temple. Um, The scriptures say that my house shall be a house of prayer for all people, but you have made it a den of thieves. And that text comes to us from, from Isaiah and reflects so much the spirit of the Magi from Isaiah 56. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. The prophetic vision is shared in other other places uh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible. The vision that we see in Micah and, and, and earlier in Isaiah, that all the nations will stream to, the, to God's holy mountain to turn swords into plowshares and to learn peace, that powerful vision. In Isaiah 19, where Israel's enemies, Assyria and Egypt, become God's people. My people, Assyria. My people, Egypt. It is a universal vision. So how is it that we, with this biblical heritage as Christians, have come to embed our faith in these narrow, ethnic, cultural enclaves. Well, on the one hand, it's perfectly understandable that this would happen. It's geography. People gather and collect, and they have a common language and a uh, common history, a common story, and so they develop their own understanding of faith in that particular way. But always the scriptures, always the gospel, always God is calling us to something more than that narrow vision. I've been reading a book 
about social infrastructure. Social infrastructure. And it is the theory of this author, of the, the author of this, this book. He's an academician. This is a more popular, popular book called Palaces of the People, if you're interested. It's the theory of this author that the most challenging problems that we face in our nation and indeed um, globally are problems of social infrastructure and of a failure of social infrastructure. And one of the institutions that he points to as being a vibrant manifestation of social infrastructure, a necessary manifestation of social infrastructure is church. Church. And the value of church, again, from a secular, sociological perspective, is that it is a place where people come together and meet each other and have a shared common purpose. And the value that that adds to a community, to a place, is immeasurable, he argues, although he tries to measure it. He tries to measure the value. And I'm going to take it up a notch. I'm going to say that not only is the social infrastructure of a church indispensable in a community and its value immeasurable, but the spiritual the spiritual infrastructure that a church brings is even more valuable. People need Jesus. In a world in which we live where there is so little grace, we offer God's grace in this place, and people need it. That old Swedish Lutheran church probably didn't ignore its new neighbors. They maybe had a daycare or some kind of ministry to their community. But the message was clear. We are a Swedish Lutheran church. And you probably aren't really welcome here to be a part of our community. And the gospel tells us the best thing we have to offer others, to offer our community, is ourselves and God's grace. The man who was lame at the temple in Acts, early on in the book of Acts, Begging, and Peter and John come, and they say, we don't have silver, and we don't have gold, but we have something else for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And we tend to focus on the miraculous in that story the kind of unexpected, unrealistic, unbelievable specter of this man rising up and walking. 
But I want to suggest there's something more going on here. Peter and John offered that man grace. They offered that man the gospel. And whether or not physically he was able to rise up and walk, his life was transformed. And more than that, but wait, there's more. They invited him to join a church, a community of God's people, a place where he could give and receive gifts, a place where he could grow and learn, a place where he could receive God's grace every day. As we think about College Mennonite Church, our congregation, the best we have to offer, the best we have to offer, the most valuable thing we have to offer is ourselves, is our church, is our community. And we can give millions of dollars to charitable causes in our community, but unless we invite and open our arms and say, we are for you, this is your space, this is your place, we are not offering our best and we are not fulfilling God's call on our lives. We have uh, today communion, as is our custom. The first Sunday of the year is a communion year. Happy New Year. And for us, this table is a sign of the hospitality of God. This table, this bread, this wine, these pretzels, this space is God saying to us, this is your space. I will meet you here. I love you here. I give you my grace here. And this space is for everyone. Amen. Let's respond with the insert, see whose glory fills the skies. And with this gospel sound that I hope we make, I invite you to stand.
Please be seated. I invite you to take your communion liturgy and turn to the presentation of gifts and we will read responsively. The peace of the Lord be with you always. What do we bring to Christ's table? At this table, Christ feeds us out of abundance. What do we bring to Christ's table? At this table, we share the cup of hope and the joy of salvation. What do we bring to Christ's table? At this table, we offer willing hearts secure in God's love. I invite you to bring your offering forward to place them in the baskets or give them to the ushers and put them in the offering plates and they will bring them forward. It's also birthday offering Sunday, so if you have a January birthday, I invite you to come and bring your January birthday offering.
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right and always right to give you thanks and praise, Lord God. In your goodness, you created all things and gave them life. Therefore, we join our voices with the saints, past, present, and to come, and all the company of heaven, to praise your glorious name. You may be seated, and please join me in prayer. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you formed us in your image. You made a covenant with us to be our God, to lead us in the ways of peace. When we had turned aside from your way and abused your gifts, you gave us Jesus, your crowning gift, emptying himself that our joy might be full. Jesus fed the hungry, healed the afflicted, ate with the scorned and forgotten, washed the disciples' feet, and gave a holy meal as the pledge of his abiding presence. Through his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from sin and death, and made a covenant by water and the Spirit. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves to you in praise as a living sacrifice. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. Grant us the communion of the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by Christ's suffering. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and peace reigns over all the earth. In Jesus' name we pray as he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, 
as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before he died, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, Jesus gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant of love, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, Almighty God, in this remembrance of the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, we now celebrate the wonder of your grace. And so we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Friends, this is the joyful feast at the table of peace. They will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. When our risen Lord was at table with his disciples, he took the bread and broke it. And they all shared it together. This is the Lord's table. Our Savior bids us to share at this table of peace in his honor. Come to the table. The ushers will uh, dismiss row by row coming forward. And there are servers in the balcony as well. If you are unable to come forward or prefer not to come forward to wish to be served at your seat, there'll be servers going around uh, uh, to serve you. Come to the Lord's table.
Please join me in prayer. God of abundance, you have fed us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. You have united us with Christ and one another and made us one with all your people in heaven and on earth. Now send us forth in the power of your spirit that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world and walk in the resurrection of Christ our Savior. Amen. Our closing hymn in the Purple Book, number 32, O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. I invite you to stand. you following the benediction to greet one another with peace and welcome. Go now with wonder, seeking our light, sharing the light of our hearts. Amen.